Hello, and welcome to Fully Scored, a brand new podcast looking in-depth into the history, harmony and meaning of Salvation Army music. In 1883, the Salvation Army's music department was founded. This has now evolved into what we know as the music editorial department. Over these years, literally thousands of pieces of music have been written as acts of prayer, devotion and praise to God. My name's Matthew Frost, and I'm a bandsman at the Birmingham Citadel Corps, and also a freelance musician. For years, I've been fascinated by this extensive library of music we have in the Salvation Army. So to find out more about this unique heritage, I'll be interviewing a series of Salvation Army musicians, composers, and conductors to delve into the context, message, and testimony that the music tells. I hope that this podcast will help you to discover new meaning behind this music, but also to be a reminder of why we play, sing and write music for the glory of God. Before we get to today's musical analysis, I'm joined by an iconic figure in Salvation Army banding. My guest today really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He's been the bandmaster of Salvation Army's International Staff Band since 1994. It's longer than I've been alive, not to make you feel old. (laughs) And is currently the Director of Music and Creative Arts in the UK and Ireland Territory. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr Stephen Cobb to the podcast. Thank you. So thank you ever so much for giving up your time to join us. I'm personally very excited to have you on here as our first guest in our very first episode, um, because over the years you've been a real inspiration to me, not just musically, but to become a Christian musician through things like TMS and Territory Youth Band. So I'm really excited to have you on here. My first question for you is, could you tell us a bit about your upbringing? Have you always been a part of the Salvation Army? Uh, Yes, I'm a fourth-generation Salvationist. Uh, Came through... The corps at Hendon, which uh, is the only corps I've ever uh, been a, a soldier at. Uh, my dad was the bandmaster there. Uh, my grandfather was the bandmaster there. So there's a bit of a, there's a bit of history, really. Fantastic. And of course, before you were bandmaster of the staff band, you're also a player. Uh, what inspired you to take up playing the cornet? I've said on more than a few occasions, actually, that my dad was in the staff band, and I have a very early childhood recollection of going to Regent Hall and just being completely taken by the, the image of the staff band with the stand-up tunics and the lion tamer festival tunics and, and uh, was just totally taken by that whole theatre, really, of what it was. And um, seeing the band march down Oxford Street, it, it, was, it was that, I think, that, that hooked me from quite an early age. Fantastic. I should just explain for the listeners that Steve's come in his lion tamer jacket and stand-up collar today. <laughs> oh, very funny. <laughs> Not really. I'm um, getting a little bit more up-to-date. Could you tell us a bit about the role you now hold here at THQ and what this involves? Uh, yes, I can. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fit for Mission uh, was, was a sort of change management um, programme that the Army um, embraced. And so my role went from being... Uh, a pretty much purely music role to one that embraced music and creative arts. Uh, well, anybody that knows me will know that, that that really isn't my area of specialism. And so it's been fascinating for me to, to embrace um, musical theatre, uh, dance fit, uh, and, and activities like that in addition to what we're already doing. Now, I don't actually have to do 
those activities, although I, I am engaged with it and I take an interest uh, in it. But uh, in essence, it, it's a developing um, of what we provide to, to local that is really the essence of um, music and creative arts now, which is not to say that we're not doing the, 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 the worship bands, the brass bands, the, the songster brigades and, and those sorts of activities. We're still very, very committed to those. They are the, the glue that holds the Salvation Army together, I believe. But we are, we are um, uh, we're wanting to develop the provision that we're able to give locally, given that the Salvation Army over here is, is a more, more diverse church now. Great. Thank you very much. I mentioned in my introduction for you that you've been the bandmaster of the ISB since 1994. Could you talk us through some of your highlights that you've seen since then? Well, well, 25 years is a is a long time. I've had the privilege of some some really really extraordinary um, opportunities. Um, I go back to my very first days uh, as the conductor of this band. The, the excitement of, of being in the middle of this group is something that very few people would understand. Uh, and it probably sounds very sad, but it was such an exciting uh, prospect. I was the first non-officer to, to hold the appointment. So it was nothing that I ever aspired to, genuinely never aspired to. So that was really exciting. And then there was the feeling of going on holiday and the feeling of absolute terror that I couldn't do the job and um, sometimes people say these things and you think really but genuinely there was this terror going on holiday and then coming back to it I, I mean I was waking up at three o'clock in the morning thinking I can't do this job I'm gonna have to go back and say I can't do this job and then embracing it in September uh, and then feeling that I was getting to grips with it so that there was that part of it and then there, there have been the, the the big things that we've done. I mean, like ISB 120 clearly was was just an unbelievable um, weekend that, that was unique, mm. uh, unique. But probably the, the the aspect of the band that that I treasure most uh, uh, would be Sunday mornings, the the, the pre meeting music that we provide those. Uh, devotional pieces on a Sunday morning uh, hearing Derek play When He Cometh on a Sunday morning is just just a remarkable feeling of, of musical and spiritual uh, synergy that, that are really really powerful so I think those sorts of things some magical moments in recording studios being part of the fellowship of the band on occasions and as, of course as, as the conductor you are detached from that fellowship a lot of the time but but being part of that during special occasions they would be one or two of the concerts we've done with Black Dyke would be you know the very first one we did for, for Clarence was was fantastic you know the, the, the hoops we had to jump through to get permission here to do it and you know you look back 24 however many years on and, and you think really but they're great, great occasions. So uh, they're far too many to mention, really. But th they would be some of right. some of the highlights. Thank you very much. And now, including your time as a player, 
what would you say this most significant change the band's gone through since you've been part of the band? I was appointed to the band in 1975. And when I joined the band, I think I was one of six or seven um, non-army people. There used to be three types of staff band members. Uh, there used to be the officers, and there were about a third of those that were officers. Great people. Not always great players, but, but <laughs> great people. And, and they really contributed to the, the life of the band and impacted on, on me as a, as a person, as a Christian, as a salvationist. But third officers, a third of them were THQ, IHQ employees. And a third of us were um, just professional people. Now, I travelled from Wembley to lunchtime rehearsals. So when I joined the band, it, it was what I would affectionately call a works band. Before I was appointed, Ray Bowes was insistent that I made two out of three lunchtime rehearsals every week. So w we had three lunchtime rehearsals, and then the Wednesday rehearsal was straight after work. Okay. Now, if I look at that model, and if I look at the current model, where it's one rehearsal, where the geography of the band is immense, mm. uh, but then it is for Black Dyke, then it is for Corey, that's the way of the world now. But, but I look at that... And I look at now the fact that there's probably only five or six of us that work for the Salvation Army. Uh, that would be the biggest, the biggest change. The actual tone of the band and, and the curiously is just the same. Mm, okay. <laughs> but but they they would be the biggest they would be the biggest changes. Great, thank you. Now, as a music educator, what piece of advice would you say was the most important you could give to a young aspiring musician? Wow, that's a tough question. Get a good teacher. Make sure that you learn good habits right from the outset. Uh, the, the, the fundamentals of playing, uh, breathing, sound, all, all those elements. Um, but get a good teacher and, and listen. Listen to lots of, lots of music. Don't listen all the time to brass band music. Uh, <laughs> it's great, um, and I'm not in any way denigrating that. But, but listen to great singers, listen to great pianists, listen to um, you know, great, great musicians and, and adapt what you have. Have your own method, but adapt what you hear and what you see in others, but be yourself. Great. Thank you very much. Now, another very tricky question. Have you got a favourite Salvation Army composer? <laughs> well, yes, I have, but it, it varies from, from period to period. You won't know, but my generation would always hold Leslie Conlon on a pedestal. And all those years after he's passed away, I still get emotional when I talk about um, Leslie Conlon, as you might be able to hear. Um, he was a fantastic man. Um, and he was, he was one of us. Although he was a, a different generation, he was one of us. So there would always be a big part of me if I had to answer a question that would say, oh, it's, it's Les, it's Les Condon, great guy. Um, but there, there would be... Other, um, Ray Stebbin Allen, what a, what a man, and, and what a great music he's written too. Um, Eric Ball, you've, you've been to TYB, mm. and every time there's an Eric Ball piece, the, the band just comes alive. 
Mm. Um, and yet it was always a mystery to Eric in his, his latter years that anybody would be interested in playing his music, let alone kids. And yet, you know, you play the King Triumphant even now, and it's just, it's still a stunning piece. So that they would be they would be the obvious ones that I would that I would think of. But but there are you know other great. Is Peter Graham an army composer? I would say he he probably still yeah. is. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, he's still very army. You talk to him, and you know, I mean, Peter's a very talented composer arranger mm. um, and, and we always love playing his music so there, there's there's loads of them this week uh, it will be RSA thank you very much and you mentioned Leslie Condon earlier that leads really nicely into today's piece that we're going to be analysing in a bit uh, but first of all could you tell us a bit perhaps biographically about Leslie Condon and his life well he, he would be of my father's generation I think Les if you were alive would be about 92 91, 92 um, so I knew him as a kid when my dad was in the band and Les was in the band and to my dad's generation he was Les he he was often the guy that um, that was the victim of band banter <laughs> uh, there's always one <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah as you know <laughs> yes, <very well. laughs> but uh, he was he was he was one of the characters of the band uh, I remember as a, as a child I remember he used to sing. He used to sing Banners and Bonnets uh, and used to sing well. He was one of the first exponents of the tuba as a solo instrument uh, and he was, a, he was an outstanding E-flat bass player. I met him in my teenage years at Tilney Hall and to us, he, he was a charismatic man. He was a spiritual man. Uh, there were devotional periods when, when he would challenge us in a way that you could at a boys national music school and he would challenge us for me he was a great musician there was a situation at Tilney Hall where um, a group of us were were out late at night when we shouldn't have been and uh, we got caught see the trick is never getting caught well I, okay <laughs> we, we got caught I think it was 11 of us and the next morning we were summoned to the the principal's office where okay. Albert Drury Colonel Albert Drury and Les were there and Les absolutely wiped the floor with us. Oh and, and I think six of us are still leaders in the Salvation Army. Right. But Les absolutely wiped the floor with us. Um, but with Les, and I learnt this when I was 17 or 18, whatever I was, once he'd said what he'd said, it was done. Hmm. And we went back to rehearsal, and he never mentioned it again. He was just the same. And I learnt from Les in that in that context how you how you deal with situations right get it out there done move on and and I learned that from Les at quite a quite an early age uh, he, he was a great musician I think he was a better band trainer than than lots of people thought and certainly at Tilney Hall he got the best he got the best from us um, best piece uh, present age everybody would say that mm. But to my generation, that was really getting to grips with Salvation Army music at that time, mm. it was such a relevant piece. And 50 years on, it still is. Yeah, that story, comes back that story is just the same. Mm. The, the other thing I would say about Les is that when uh, the staff band did a five-week tour in 1980, um, Les spoke to me, uh, and, and I was humbled then and thinking about it now, I'm thinking, 
goodness me, uh, he spoke to me about writing a solo for me for that for that trip. And um, uh, the the privilege for uh, what was that twenty six, uh, the privilege of of having somebody like Les sit with you, sketching out pieces. Would this work for you? What about this? Uh, was just something that I'll never, I'll never ever forget. His his humility. Mm. And when I was first working for the army, going out and and hearing um, stories years after he'd passed away um, about Les knocking on um, somebody's door with with a bunch of flowers and that really sorry to hear that that your husband's not well or your wife's not well. Here's a bunch of flowers. We've been thinking about you. Those sorts of pastoral things that probably even now we don't know mm. what happened. Um, those sorts of aspects to Les's life are often forgotten. But he was a very, very caring man and, and loved loved that job. Right. What a legacy to leave. Yes. Incredible. Yeah. The next question I've had sent in, and it <laughs> comes from Andrew Blythe. The question is, who was the finest back row cornet player you've ever had in the international staff band? Apart from Andrew Blythe. <laughs> Andrew is very self-deprecating. He was uh, he was a good first cornet player in the band. Yeah, he was we'll, good. we'll get him to listen to this. <laughs> if he doesn't get to him, big ahead. <laughs> he owes me a coffee. <laughs> um, and now we move on to some quick-fire questions, and I've tried to make these as random as possible, so look at all different aspects of your life. So the first one is, if you could visit any city worldwide, where would it be? I'd love to go back to San Francisco. Very nice. Um, how about your favourite restaurant? There's a, there's a pub restaurant that Elaine and I go to in Barnet called The Gate, and uh, it, it's not pretentious, but the food's there is good and nice atmosphere. This time of the year, log fires, so Ooh, yeah, it's it's yeah, that's Fantastic. where I like to go. Um, and I understand you're an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> yes. um, who do you think their key player is this season? <laughs> I don't think they've got a key. Player. <laughs> it's shocking. I went last Thursday. Okay. And it was freezing cold and there was nobody there and the players didn't want to play. I don't know there's one player they can build their team around. Right, right okay. That's, it all goes over my head, football, but <laughs> I'll take you one. I thought you were a Norwich supporter. Well, I'd pretend well, there to be, you go. but yeah, <laughs> no, nothing about it. <laughs> iPhone or Android? iPhone. Uh, Favourite part of a Christmas dinner? Christmas pudding. Okay, very nice. Monopoly, yay or nay? Nay. Um, Favourite... Band CD or um, LP that you've conducted? There's been quite a few. <laughs> this will come as a surprise to some. It will be A Life Worth Living okay. with Hendon Band. That CD, even now, is used in so many different settings. It's used at funerals, it's used at times when people are, are sick, and it, it's that sort of music that, that speaks to people in... in, in um, in a, a, a meaningful and, and a moving way. Um, my next question is, you're known affectionately as the doctor, but do you have any formal medical training? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think that whole doctor thing, is, I, I, it makes me smile. Uh, I, I was privileged to undertake that, and um, uh, that, that is, it, the, the doctorate is more about the Salvation Army than me, really. But, yeah. Um, and here's a question for the anoraks that might be listening. What baton do you use? <laughs> well, I've got a guy in Canada that, um, that, that sends me batons from time to time. Um, so Cal, um, 
calcenjamy battens and I use them and I like them. Fair enough. Um, in your opinion, what is the most iconic Salvation Army band piece ever written? Ooh. Tricky question again. Absolutely grilling you today. <laughs> uh, it will be a, a choice of two, really. Either The Holy War or The Present Age. Mm. And if you really, really push me, I would say The Present Age. Um, what's your favourite Bible translation? Message. Okay. Well, that's a paraphrase, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, will that do? Yeah, well, we'll take it today. Might deduct points later, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're cooking, what's your signature dish? I'm, I'm just not. I'm a microwave. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Um, would you rather have a pet tortoise or chinchilla? Tortoise. Thanks ever so much once again, Steve, for joining us there. Um, hang around. Steve will be joining us later in a segment called Band Mastermind. I'll explain what that is when we get there. But before we do that, it's time now to look at today's featured piece, which is Festival Series 285. So if there are any anoraks out there and you can guess the piece, now's your time to do it. It was published in 1965. It is, of course, Leslie Condon's Easter Glory. And to do our musical analysis of this piece, I'm joined by Andrew Blythe, the head of the music editorial department. We'll be interviewing Andrew in more detail next episode. So let's move on to Easter Glory. And we're just looking at the first movement today. It's not essential, but we'd recommend that you might want to follow along a score while we're analysing the music. You can download the scores from the Salvation Army Music Index. So, um, before we go right into the depth of the music and harmony, uh, Easter Glory is published as a suite. Mm. Could you tell us a little bit about how popular suites were at the time to be published and uh, a bit about that form and where it comes from? Well, hello, Matthew. And uh, what a great idea this is of yours, I believe, to to kickstart this podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, well done. Um, Very good. Oh, I feel like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, really looking forward to it, though. It's it's a good idea. It's a great way to open um, people's uh, minds up to the work that goes on here, um, to the Salvation Army's music heritage. And so we're, we're hoping, I, I'm sure you agree, that it will be an educational as well as a, um, you know, a kind of informative tool for people to to understand the music that the Salvation Army has produced. So, to answer your question regarding the suite as a musical form, it was popular within Salvation Army context because it told a story. So, so not necessarily East Glory, but, but it would tell a story, say, of um, a testimony. So, kind of finding Christ, um, receiving grace, and then going out into the world. You know, there were three kind of parts of Christian living that within Salvation Army context told the story so well in a suite because there were three movements Hmm, three movements so it it kind of the narration of it was was easy for a salvationist composer to kind of relate to because they were they put them into kind of facets of salvation army service um this is a little bit different because it talks about the three days but but you know there were the kind of movements represented facets of service so in joy in sorrow you know, in grace, yeah, that kind of thing. I think we still see that influence in music today. Oh, yeah. Lof- often it's more through composed, yeah. actually. Those really three no, defined right. movements. Also, musically in a wider context, it's quite a popular 
fast, like yes. fast for most yes, sort of yeah. art music and classical yeah, music right, as well. Yeah. And it was just following, I think, more of a classical sphere at the beginning of this. I mean, it developed more in the in the 40s, 50s, 60s, the suite um, in, within Salmish Army culture. And of course, the music um, of this era, and certainly before, was influenced very, very heavily by the classical music, the first festival series pieces being transcriptions. So I suppose we can see where that comes from. Oh, yeah. Classical music. Undoubtedly. influence on the form as well. Thank you for that context. Let's now delve deeper into the harmony and music. To start with, I think, uh, I remember hearing a recording of Les himself speaking at Star Lake, uh, which was fascinating because he said, how do you paint a portrait on a postage stamp? You know, how do you, how do you tell the story this fantastic story of, of resurrection, of, of death, resurrection, um, in in a suite that lasts what seven eight minutes. Even shorter than this podcast has probably been so far. Exactly. So you know, it, 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 minuscule. It, it, it's a big ask, but but I have to say, you know, for me, it's my my favourite Salvation Army piece. Um, he does it so well, mm. um, and uh, you, you take the first this first movement and he delves us straight into the story straight away um, straight into the, the narrative for me we need to look at the three for me three key narratives Matthew, Luke and John Luke 23 chapter 23 those kind of moments so where Jesus has been condemned and now he's going to the cross now he is the moment where he's going up to Golgotha we are plunged straight into that no, no kind of Introduction. This is going to happen, and now we're going to the cross. We're 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 literally on that road. Um, we're on the Via Dolorosa. We're on the way to the cross, um, and and Les puts puts us straight there. Um, he's put strepitoso maldolente, um, loud and boisterous, but sorrowful, mm. but sorrowful. So you have these three key elements, don't you? I mean, you look look at the score here. We've got this um, tread and the basses. Um, this kind of tread in the in the upper instruments, the solo horn up, this wailing of chromaticism in uh, in the cornets and in the horn, um, but but mostly in the cornets. You've got the trombones given a kind of very regimented octave um, feel, which I think is the Roman guards keeping everyone at bay. But you've got the crying, you've got the procession of Christ. Everything's thrown in here so wonderfully well. Um, when you look at the score, it looks so neat and tidy, doesn't it? Mm. For me as well, you talk about this tread. It really, really reminds me of the fourth movement of the Pines of Rome, yep. Respighi's tone poem, you could yep. call it, um, and that martial military um, unending drive yep. that we've got here. There's three elements to this um, because you've not only just set the scene, so you've got this tread of Jesus walking up to the, uh, trudging up the hill with the cross. You've got the crowds, all sides pressing him in. You've got the Roman guards with the trombones keeping, trying to keep order. They're very set in in, in their, their notes there, um, you know, in these octaves. And then uh, 
the bar before A, I think you've got a key element in that you've got the narrative of Jesus. Um, in Luke 23, verse 28, it says, do not weep for me. So amongst all of this, this, this man is saying, don't weep for me. Don't, don't, don't worry. You know, in all this pain and rejection. And you hear this little, little figure, la di da di You've got section A, which is this kind of, he's now really approaching the hill. It's, they're coming nearer. You know, it kind of feels as though he's right next to you. You're in the crowd and you're seeing this man go through the crowd. I often think that it's like you're watching it from this point. You see it and then he's there. You know, you kind of get the carnival and you see them come up and you think, oh, well, you know, this, this kind of procession is there. And, and, and at section A, the intensity is there. You can see it with your own eyes, the pain, the suffering, the noise. It's all within a context of you watching all this. At bar before section B, the same little figure again of, of the call of Christ, the don't weep for me little figure, la dee da And um, actually, also, looking at the percussion part, we've got this yes. relentless drive for the bass drum. Um, now, the percussion part really is quite rudimentary and simple, isn't it? Bass drum, snare drum, and some cymbals. Why do you think that in a lot of this early Salvation Army music, the percussion parts are so sort of simple and auxiliary? So if you look into the outside world, you've got pieces like the Writer's Spring, Messianus Tarangali, they're written several years before this with these huge orchestral percussion parts, um, tam-tams, multiple mm. timpanies, two timpani players on, mm. on two yeah. sets and stuff. Why do you think that is in the Salvation Army music, that there just isn't that, uh, I think intensity. purely it was a cultural thing from brass bands in general. Um, financial, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, publicly educated orchestral musicians. It's certainly not an ignorance on the part of composers. I think if Les Condon, um, Dean Goffin were around today, they would be using these these instruments. I think purely, Matthew, financially, mm. and, and what the bands had at that point, and culturally, it wasn't seen as key parts of instrumentation for brass band scoring. So, yeah, I, I think they would write it completely different now. In fact, mm. actually, just to, as a quick aside, when Ray Allen started looking at stuff that we would reproduce again for in new prints, so um, The Lord is King, etc., he added percussion okay. onto those. Mm. So, yeah. Fascinating, and sometimes you find uh, my granddad was a percussionist. And I've, uh, through going through some of his books, I've found handwritten timpani parts that he's yep, written. I've heard did. stories of no, you're right. of Eric Ball going around different calls and writing their yep. own timpani parts for pieces yep. like the Triumph for Peace. And yep. um, but I suppose even the instruments back then, timpani would have been different. They wouldn't be these pedals. Oh, yeah. It was more kettle today. kind of kettle and very well used to tune them on the sides yes. and all that kind of thing. And and uh, yeah, so yeah, you're right. There's a lot of Percussion, auxiliary percussion yes, parts yeah. being written out in, yeah, in their days. Yeah. It really is fascinating. Yeah. Um, so if we dip back into the music, let's have a listen to section B. So could you talk us through now what's happening in the narrative yeah. here from okay, section so B to C? Okay, so the bar before section B, remember you have this, in my mind, this call from Christ, do not weep for me. 
because at section B we have this little reference to um, the hope that Christ is alive. Truro, um, the tune Truro, Christ is alive. You've got this little hope there and this little lifting up, um, lifting up on the cross. It's fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 12. Um, Psalm 22 and various other prophecies that say the Son of God will be will be lifted up to die on a cross. And so scripture comes true at this point. So in this desolation, there's still hope. And so at section B, we have this hope. It's the music suddenly lifts. It goes up. You know, it goes that way. It doesn't go down. It goes up. Mm. He's lifted up. And uh, it fulfills the pro- prophecy of, of, um, of Scripture. Uh, so at section B, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of hope for us. Um, but then, of course, at section C, we see the reality at this point from a human nature. In terms of scoring, it really drops back here. We've yeah. got just the sax horn instruments for the tenor horns, the baritones, euphoniums, and this trombone on this one singular sort of answering notes. What yeah. do you think this the picture is here? Well, first of all, I think at C, the energy dies down, doesn't it? It's, everyone's just kind of tired. Everyone's dejected. You know, when you're kind of sad, everything slows down because you just can't be bothered. And you're really upset. You know, there's no energy in sadness. Mm. You know, it's, it's 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 a very slow thing. At this point, I think there's no energy. I think at this point, the guards have done their job and the trombones, again, in this kind of very kind of rigid way, give us this one-note um, octave feel again. Um, everything has just happened now. It, all this has, has absolutely just finished. He's on the cross that's it you know so there's a, a sense of well that's finished doesn't it <laughs> that's it mm. and the scoring almost dies away if we just look the beat into D we've got just the two instruments playing the solo horn and the euphonium so yeah. it really really does die away from that from that anger and angst yeah. that we had in that martial tread at the yeah. beginning um, then we have this uh, three muted cornet fig- uh, figure bursting forth at D and almost renewed optimism the tempo's going up again what happens here in the music? Well Les in his narrative in, in the score notes um, says something great um, he says Calvary is no symbol of defeat he recognises you know, he, he's saying that you know, Christ's death is no symbol of defeat it's actual symbol, symbol of victory so this little motif here actually derives from the third movement the start of the third movement mm which is about resurrection. Yes. And so um, Les brings us into that, that feeling of he's hung on a cross, but actually 
this is the sign of, of victory, not of loss. And so we're, we're brought into the third movement already, um, which then uh, leads us into the middle of D, just before the Molto Ruit, which is two bars before E, um, John 19.30, where Christ says, It is finished, this fanfare figure. Um, which starts in the trombones and euphonium and builds through the horns into the solo cornets. It is finished. Mm. That's it. You and know, a proclamation kind of thing. And that real sort of open fifth harmony, yeah. again, the bar before uh, E, yeah. sort of gives that militaristic feel. Is this symbolising? Uh, well, it's, it, it, it moves me every time I hear it or played it or conducted it. Um, it's the victory, let's, let's call it the victory motif. This is his victory motif and it comes later on in the third movement. Um, and he says, Christ's words quoted, it was finished, were not merely an expression of relief, but a cry of triumph. And so this victory motif of, I have fulfilled the prophecy of scripture, I have fulfilled God's plan in my life, but this gives us eternal life, gives us this marvellous, marvellous victory motif, which, um, again, it's not easy to play. Certainly not. Um, but it's very emotional in its, in its context um, uh, and, and really leads us into that, that hope that Christ gives us. But, of course, we then go into section F, which talks again from our point of view, because we don't see it from Christ's point of view. Mm. So that's going to be one of my questions about this piece. Whose point of view is this piece written from? Is it one of the apostles there? Is it a personal testimony of, of Les? Or is it perhaps us as the players or the listeners um, on looking at the scenes unfolding? Well, I, I, I personally think it's a, narr- it's a group. It's Les looking at the narrative of Scripture. So from a from a a person looking on's point of view, from Christ's words' point of view, and from the experience of grace and testimony from his own point of view. So understanding Christ's sacrifice for him as a composer, um, as a Christian, um, but also seeing the narrative of, of, of it and then working out the experience. So this victory motif, he recognises that Christ died for us at this point in time. Um, and and he's... And then the the crowd scene, he's reading that from scripture and just giving us that story. So there's a point of, of narrative, there's a point of testimony. Um, there's there's a number of angles in Easter Glory, I think. I don't, don't just think it's it's from one side mm. of, it's it's from gaining what the scripture says and 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 using that within his own life. So at section F, we have the tune, the wounds of Christ introduced. Uh, let's have a listen to that.
what are the words associated with this tune and who wrote the tune? Okay, well, the, the, the words are, the wounds of Christ are open, sinner, they were made for thee. The wounds of Christ are open, there for refuge flee, there for safety, go. You know, there, um, you know, to see Christ's sacrifice, if we go to that point of grace, then we're free people. It was written by Evangeline Booth, General Evangeline Booth, who was the fourth general. She was a formidable figure by all accounts. Um, used to write songs, had a great idea for melody, but, but didn't know how to harmonise them. People like Eric Ball, who was an office boy at the time at IHQ, used to have to go at the general's command to, to listen to her sing and write down this stuff. And, and, to, and one of these songs could have, one of this could have been one of those that Eric harmonised. But it's cert- they were certainly popular songs. And she, she, she wrote this, um, I think, for, for a homecoming of William Booth at uh, one of the major halls in London. And they sang it to, to the general. And it was a popular song used in our songbook and our tune book. And um, Les harmonises it so beautiful here. But it actually shows, again, from a narrative point of view, from seeing Christ on the cross and thinking, as Les would think, well, this is, he did this for me. Mm. Um, and so the, 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 the treatment of it is so beautifully done. You notice by the, the second bar before the end of that movement, something key. And again, it's this la da da, this this Jesus calling out again, this little figure that he uses right at the beginning in all that confusion, then he uses in the middle again, and it, it's this feeling again of Jesus, I think. And Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verse fifty, he gave up his spirit. That was it. And we finish with a very nasty. I don't know. Have you played this? Not for a long while. It's a nasty moment for a solo cornet player. Yeah. <laughs> um, if if it's a one, I'd usually say let's put that down the bench. Yeah. It's a one. <laughs> you know, it's not solo. Um, but it's this this kind of very kind of you know it's finished. This is me. You know, Jesus saying, "I've that's it. I've fulfilled my prophecy." But in a peaceful and beautiful and not angered way. It's just very gentle, isn't it? And then the first time, perhaps, in the piece, we just finish on this chord yeah. to end off yeah. real stillness and the movement. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's just a very stable major chord. That's it. Into silence. I almost don't want to interrupt the atmosphere there, but now, in true Salvation Army style, now for something completely different. I'd like to welcome back to the podcast Dr Stephen Cobb for the very first instalment of a segment we'd like to call Band Mastermind. I've got a series of really, really nerdy questions about Salvation Army band music and perhaps some musical ones in general, and we're going to be putting our guests under the spotlight. You've got exactly the time it takes the ISB to play Jubilee, with a few convenient repeats taken out, so it lasts exactly 1 minute 30 to answer as many questions as possible. So, Dr Stephen Cole, are you ready for Band Mastermind? I'm ready. (laughs) 
and your time starts now. Who hosted the TV series Marching As To War? Roy Carson. Correct. Which band featured on the opening titles of this? I'd like to say ISB. Incorrect. Who was the organist for the premiere of Chorales and Tangents for Band, Organ and Fanfare Trumpets at Royal Albert Hall? Philip Wilby. Incorrect. What year did Ray Stemmel Allen receive the order of the founder? I should know this, but I don't know. According to Commissioner Carlton, Colonel Hay and Brigadier Powley, which core band had the first properly organised band? Concert. Correct. Sam Caruthers was probably the first Salvationist to play what in an army band? No idea. We'll pass on that one. What year was the Amsterdam Staff Band formed? Uh, 1962. So close, but incorrect. Which Staff Bandmaster has the most of their compositions published? Bill Himes. Correct. Who was the Vaughan William Tuber Concerto written for? Phil Catlinick. Correct. Which army band was the first to play in the grounds of Windsor Castle? Norwich. Incorrect. In the founder's funeral cortege, which core band was following the copy? Nottingham. Incorrect. Which core band has produced half of the current international staff band trombone section? Rexham. Correct. Who was the youngest ever member of the International Staff Band? Jonathan Whitman. Correct. Which group performed the music for the opening titles of the TV show? Our time is up, but I'll finish the question. Which group performed the music for the opening titles of the TV show Hallelujah with Flora Heard? Don't know. OK, so we'll toss up your score in a second. But to go through the answers you didn't quite get correctly, um, the band that featured on the opening of Marching As To War was Norwich Citadel. Okay. Uh, the organist who played for the premiere of Chorales and Tangents for Band, Organ and Fanfare Trumpets was Michael Clack. Uh, RSA received the order of the founder in 2005. Uh, Sam Caruthers was probably first Salvationist to play a slide trombone in the Salvation Army Band. A very obscure one, that one. And the Amsterdam Staff Band was 1961, just one year away. Very, very close. Uh, going on, we then had quite a few correct. Um, the, first <laughs> <Thank army>. <laughs> <laughs> the first army band played in the grounds of Windsor Castle was Maidenhead Band. Yeah, I thought it was Ma- Maidenhead or Norwich. Ah, very, very close. Um, and the band that played behind the Founders Funeral Cortage was South Hall One. Was it? It was, wow. and the group that played the music for the opening titles of TV show Hallelujah was James Shepherd's Versatile Brass. Was it? It was indeed. So, in total, that gives you one, two, three, four, five, six. So, as this is the very first episode, <laughs> we don't know if that's really good or really bad, but I'm sure you'll find out very soon. Thank you once again for your time and coming onto the podcast. Well, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this episode of Fully Scored. If you have any questions about anything we've discussed today or any queries we can answer on a later episode, please send us a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at FullyScored, all one word. Thanks ever so much once again, Steve, for joining us today. Thanks also to our producer, Simon Gash, for all his work editing out all the bits where we were completely rubbish, organising guests and generally just keeping us in check. Thanks also go to my team of band nerds for their help with the Bandmastermind trivia. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening. Goodbye and God bless.